This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. Welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are attempting to learn to invest like the greatest investors in the world. We are deep into uh, following Warren Buffett, Charlie Munger, Ben Graham, great value investors who are looking for a bargain when the market gets crazy. And the markets are getting crazy now. They <laughs> are. Let's talk about that. We, so we've been um, doing a series on checklists and we had to break into our series here because this past week has been so crazy in the markets because of the fears about coronavirus and because of the reality of coronavirus. So um, so we wanted to just make sure that we address this because we've been sitting here for years talking about how markets can crash. And we're not in a crash officially, but um, they lost about... So we're recording this Monday... What date is it? Monday, the 2nd of March. So the day before this comes out, because that's as late as we can go before um, recording without recording. And as of last week, the market dropped overall about 10%, which is not yet a crash. They call it a correction, I learned. Um, But it's enough to where people are starting to talk a lot. People like us who have been sitting around in cash and waiting. And certainly, I spent the weekend putting my numbers in order and making sure I knew what my plan was. <laughs> I'm glad, Andy, I'm glad you have a plan. That's <laughs> the first thing. This is really, really good. Um, by the way, when we talk about the market, we're talking about specific, and we say it's down 10%. We're, we're talking specifically about a couple of indexes that are I was talking more to, generally, because I think... Well, you could talk generally, but how I don't, did you I know think it they, was down I think 10%? they dropped, but I think they dropped like different levels. So I was saying generally sure. it was about 10%, but I think um, the NASDAQ well, you didn't... generally, what, what are you talking about generally that you would look at generally to find the, out whether the market was generally down 10%? <laughs> the Dow Jones Industrial Average. Thank you. And the that S&P 500 too. Index. Me too. <laughs> Me too. So those are two very large indexes. And it, interestingly enough, the Dow index is only 30 stocks, hmm. but they're a key group of 30 stocks. And, um, and they have been very predictive of the overall market for a long time. The S&P 500 index is about 500 stocks. And so it's a larger index and or a larger number of companies in the index. And, um, and therefore perhaps you know, it's going to differ from the Dow's over time. Um, but the Dow is considered the, the market by me. That's, that's my, my thing to go to. Oh, by you. Oh, you by said me. market by me. Like it's like a thing that we each should have our own market. Okay. No, got I it. Have my own market. But <laughs> that's, that's what, what, that's I look what at. you look at. Okay. Right. Well, and why do you look time. at the Dow? I'm curious about that. Well, indexes are valuable in, in a number of different ways, but really they're, they're valuable by comparing themselves 
to themselves. Like, how does this stack mm. up compared to where it used to be? Sure. And so you sort of get you. I, I get you are accustomed, I guess, to looking at the Dow and kind of feeling how the market's going from that one index. Um, the S and P five hundred, of course, is another index used by lots of people. And they're doing the same thing, looking at that, kind of getting a comfort level for how things are moving around over the years. Um, so that's all. It's just a comfort that, level. So that's the one that you like to look at. And is that's the, Dow. the one I like, yeah. So how much did the Dow drop exactly, if you have that number up? Well, I don't have it up, but I can ah, tell you the okay. numbers. <clears throat> it peaked at 29,551, I think. Um, and that just happened a few days ago, February 12th. And now it's at just right at about... 20, right at 26,000 right now. So it's down 3,500 points roughly. And mm -hmm. that would be, um, you know, solidly 10%, right? A, a bit more. Yeah, it's a bit more, I think. Right. And it got down as low as 24,750, which was, you know, 12% or so. And as you say, it's in what they call correction. I don't know where they come up with these ideas, but just they got to they got to say something on the news. Everybody would have to. Apparently, there's like these rules about when right. it ha when it does this much, that gets to be qualified as a correction, and when it does this much, that's when it's qualified as a crash. Which I guess you're right. Like it makes sense that they would have to have some sort of hard and fast like. You don't get to call it that unless it meets this criterion. Right. But I still think it's kind of weird. Well, it's something to talk about. Huh. Uh, a Wall Street jargon. And they have the same thing for recession. And then they have the same thing for the word depression. I mean, it, it's a very right. specific right. term in economics about how long, you know, their GDP has been negative and how deep it goes and so on. So, um, but in terms of what we're doing as an investor, those are terms we don't need to care about particularly. What we care about is individual companies and how they're doing and what we have on our watch list. So that, that becomes, as you say, the focus of our numbers, the focus of our attention is presumably, if we have been wise and listening to our podcast for some time, you have taken the time to learn about a few businesses that you understand and that have wide moats and good management. And you've put them on a watch list and you've said, okay, if this company gets to this price, I'm a buyer. I am a buyer. So it's simply you're going, you're going to hope for a garage sale and you know your stuff. You know what you're going in to buy. And actually, they're going to they're gonna list all the things you could buy in that future potential garage sale. It's very convenient, unlike most garage sales. You don't know what's in there, and you struggle running through the neighborhood to find something you might want to <laughs> buy at a price you might want to pay. In this potential garage sale, everything is listed way ahead of time. It's all there for you to, to play with and determine how much you might want to pay for a thing, you know, whether you want to buy that thing. Is that a, is that a valuable, you know, Ming Voss or is that a knockoff, right? Or, you right. know, what's a good one and what isn't? So that's what we've been spending so much time on. And so we understand what's a good one look like and then what's the value of that good one and what would you pay for it? If it was on sale, what, how would you know it's on sale? So well, that's what we've been working on. Yeah, exactly. That's what we've been working on. And I think in the midst of all this news everywhere about the market dropping, 
I think it can be, you know, just from like through conversations with people and kind of the, you know, word amongst word on the street kind of thing. There's like a lot of talk of like, oh, is it a good time to buy? Oh, stocks are down. Like, oh, it's maybe. And I had multiple conversations like that with people where they were like, I think maybe now I could buy. And I'm like, based on what? Like, what? Like, what are you even talking about? Just because it's lower than it was. That's it. That's what that's what they are thinking. Like, it's lower than it was. Therefore, it must be cheap. And that's 100 percent not true. And it really doesn't matter. And I remind myself of this on the regular because I'm wait, totally. It's 100% not true that just because the price is lower than it was, it's on sale. Or right. It's a time it, to I'm buy. saying it's. it doesn't yeah. mean that it's the time to buy. It doesn't mean that it's cheap. Um, right. But other people. I always, when I, when I have a conversation that. like that, which is with everybody. Which is with everybody. That's my point. That, yes. I feel like I'm having a conversation with someone who's. I hate to say it. It's like I'm having a conversation with an idiot. It's like, uh, do you have any idea what you're talking about at all? No. And, and the answer don't. is no, they don't. No. But like, it's just that, oh, in, in it was polite there, company, you can't, yeah, you can't be like, you don't know what you're talking about at all. So I you have to be I like. to one of my best friends. You have no, your words are meaningless. Yeah. I it definitely had mean anything. that conversation several times oh this weekend. My. It's just <laughs> funny, honestly. After you, the first one, you really want to argue, and then after about twenty of them, it's kind of like you just want to laugh, and you just. And then I realize, oh wait, I really should be wishing that everyone thinks like this, because there's the other side of the knife, right? There's two edges on this thing, and one is oh. It's gone down a tad, so it's cheaper than it was. I should buy some. But yeah. that same sort of greed, it's a greed emotion. It has nothing to do with reality. That greed emotion will flip to fear. Oh, and when it for sure. does, then they're going to be, why would you ever buy anything? Right? I'm a seller of everything. I'm no longer a buyer of everything because, oh, it's, you know, it's cheaper than it was. Now it's gotten too cheap. And now I'm a seller of everything because I'm afraid that this market's going to just go down and go down and go down. And, and so this emotion, we should cheer it on. We shouldn't try to educate it. We should stop this podcast I immediately. Mean, <laughs> I, I'm not sure I agree since these are people in our lives who we know personally and care about what happens to them. I certainly hope so. No, I'm not sure I'm going to go on that train of thought, but well, it is, we, it we is have to a, at least consider we have to at least understand how this is working. So the markets come falling off of this high point yeah. and it's now what some people are thinking like on sale, right? The markets on oh sale. Oh my God. All you have to do is look at Amazon's stock price. Look at the chart. All that has happened to Amazon is that it has come off. Look at like the last like year. All that's happened is there's this amazing, very high mountain that is the last couple months. And then now it's gone back down to what it was at the end of last year. That's it. Like, <laughs> the end of last year was like last it week. It was. And the end of last year was one of the highest markets of all time. Ever. 
Okay. And and I'm like, I looked at this Amazon stock chart and I was just like, oh, that's what 10% has meant. All it's meant is that the gains of the last couple months, well, last couple months, last two months, um, have have gone away. That's it. Yeah. That's why this is not, according to the rules of economics, called a crash, because it's not in any way. Now, and it tells us nothing. And here's the other thing: is it tells us nothing. And it tells us nothing. About yeah, whether Amazon is on sale now or was on sale before it went down ten percent, was it on sale then, or was it on sale back in you know last summer when it was selling for almost half what it's selling for now? Was that on sale, or was it on sale in 2017 when it was selling for you know a third of what it's when mm-hmm. was it on sale and mm-hmm. when was it a good price? And honestly, most people have no idea. They would have said exactly the same things about this um, when it went from, let's say, 600 down to 400 in 2016. They would, oh, it's on sale. It went from 600 to 400, it went down one third. And well, now it's on sale. I should buy it on right, sale. Right, because they don't know. And that doesn't mean that they're idiots. Good Lord. They just, they don't teach us this stuff in school. I mean, I wasn't an idiot when I started this process. So give us all a break. Well, I'm just sort of quoting, what, who is that? Steinbeck he's, and Mice and Men, right? He's basically quoting Shakespeare when he's got Lenny talking or Lenny's talking or whatever. Anyway, where where this person is full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Oh, that's Shakespeare from The Tempest. There we go. Sound and fury <laughs> I love that nothing. you attribute that, that to Steinbeck. <laughs> that, that is, actually, Steinbeck stole it. That's right. So, but that's that's what I feel like I'm listening to. It's signifying nothing. It's Wait, is full that of the this Tempest? and full of that. Or it signifies that, Oh, now nothing. I have to look it up. Oh, yeah, this is going to kill me. I probably got the quote wrong, too. No, you got the quote right, but I don't think it was, I think it was um, <laughs> Romeo and, oh, I'm going to get it so wrong. But what we want to do when we're talking about companies that we we might own is signify something when we're talking about them. Oh, dad, it's from Macbeth. Of course oh, it it's Mac- from Macbeth. Beth. It's a no, tale told sense. by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. There we go. That's life, go. by the way. So Not that's where I get the life. idiot quote. I'm over, I'm over, I'm overloading it probably like, <laughs> like Shakespeare was on that scene. But here's the thing. It, we want to signify something when we're speaking about things as if we have a clue. And one of the important things to be able to signify when you're talking about things that you're going to put money into or take money out of is what are they worth? That's kind of critical, don't you think? Right, right. And I think that's that's the point here. So as somebody who's been reading obsessively all of the news about coronavirus for the last three weeks and reading every single news story that comes out about the market and what the market's doing, I'm like obsessed and I need to, I literally every now and then tell myself, okay, I need to stop. Like this isn't, there's no point to this. It doesn't actually matter to what I'm doing here as far as making investing decisions. But it's kind of fun to read it all. So I feel like if we have listeners who are on the same page as me, I feel like it's okay to be like this. But what do you think, Dad? Is it okay to be like this? I think it's okay. I think it's good to dig in and, and, and be a tad obsessed about a few things when there's the potential here for, um, for an event, what we call an exactly. event. 
Exactly. Because we've right. been waiting so long. And I don't know if it's going to happen here. It may not. But it's... uh it's exciting to see. And I say that with full consciousness and the constant caveat that I know that this virus is affecting real people in horrible ways. And uh, if you are being affected or your family's being affected, we feel for you and we're so sorry and we hope that you get well soon. And all of this talk makes us sound very callous and I'm very aware of that all the time. Well, it's all, it's all, it's, it's important to realize that, um, Investors who think the way we do have an extremely important role in uh, the process of saving the oh, world. I love that point. Tell me more. It's it, it, So Warren Buffett is sitting $140 billion in cash right now, right? Mm -hmm. And many investors of that stripe, what we would call rule one style investors, who focus almost entirely on not losing money. That's the mm -hmm. main focus of Buffett's entire career. Um, while at the same time attempting to buy assets that are producing high rates of return because they grow. So this, this focus is relentless and religious in nature. And there is a component to it that could be argued that it is callous. It is uh, taking advantage of, of terrible crises, you know, this kind of, mm -hmm. of, of process and where, essentially Warren in his unguarded moments has said, you know, we basically buy fear. That's what we're looking to do. We're waiting for fear. And when it comes, then we start to get very alert as to what is now going on sale as a result of this fear. So that sounds, as you say, callous and, and heartless and, and, and yet it Buffett's sounds one of the like kindest it, but, people on the planet. But we, we are not. So <laughs> no, we are not. <laughs> Essentially, we're what nice we're ready, people, really. What we're what he and and people like us are doing is we are ready to jump into the crisis with real money and put real money and lots of it on the line. Oh, so that's in the, the crisis. important part that you were talking it's about. Super important that, hmm. that people understand that if no one is taking that role, if everyone's running from the fear of whatever this is then there's nothing stopping all of these markets from going into serious depression and and the world spinning into war that comes from that, right? You start having economic catastrophe. You begin to have people jealous of other people, and that's how wars mm -hmm. start. Mm -hmm. So you, 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 w the role that we play here is a guardian role, it is a, a, and it's a guardian angel role that says we're going to come in and we're going to step <laughs> in when no one else is willing to do that. Not to be And we're going to have the assets to step in with it. Of course <laughs> it is. I'm being hyperbolic. <laughs> but, I but, love, but I love the point. I have to make fun of it a little because it sounds insane. But I, it's, a, it's a beautiful point. And you're right. We, well, let, let me give you an example of this. It's a, back a bunch of years ago, Buffett had an investment in Solomon Brothers, which is the United States, which is a, a huge private company at the time that was the major bond trader for U.S. government treasury bonds, mm. and a Solomon trader was cheating in the auctions, and the federal government said, we're going to shut this company down. And Buffett made an argument to them that if they were to do that, it would create a lot of fear in the market. And he put his entire reputation and net worth on the line to step in and guarantee those, those uh, trades would be legitimate and be covered, and there wouldn't be a downside. 
And uh, another example is how aggressively the Federal Reserve jumped in with cash and lowered interest rates in mm-hmm. 2009, uh, 2008 and 2009 to set a, a floor on the fear, uh, to stop the fear. And, in the, and the fear doesn't stop until things stop going down. The fear gets worse and worse and worse and more and more people get caught up in it. And so having a lot of investors standing by, and there are a lot of us out there. Yes, there are, are a lot of people who have been waiting. We are yeah, not alone. We are not alone. That is and so, definitely um, true. And our job isn't to just wait for catastrophe. That's not what we're out to do at all. What we're out to do is spot a few wonderful businesses that go on sale. The problem is <laughs> wonderful businesses, by virtue of being wonderful are well known to be wonderful and they don't go on sale. They're, they're rarely on sale. And it really takes some sort of crisis either in the industry or in the, in the entire economy before a wonderful business goes really on sale. And so, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a bit of a, a, not a bit, it's a huge waiting game. Yeah. Um, and we sometimes get opportunities that are lo- localized just to a, a crisis that's local on that company, uh, like Chipotle, for example. You know, and the, the market wasn't failing and and uh, everybody else was doing fine in that industry. But Chipotle's stock dropped from $760 a share down to 250 and and of course we're we're looking at this as to where does this thing go on sale? First off, what's it worth, and then where does it go on sale? Mm-hmm. And so what we do, and hopefully what you guys will do, is get ahead of the crisis by having a clear list of companies you want to own, and knowing what their value is. Yeah. So that you're not guessing that Chipotle's on sale at two hundred fifty dollars a share just because it was at seven sixty. It doesn't matter what it was at anymore exactly. than how much the gold jewelry is on sale for. At, I mean, oh, 80% off is regularly seen in the window of jewelry stores, right? 80% off. 80% off of what? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Of the absurd price we put on there so we could put 80% <laughs> off next week. We'll sell you an N95 mask at 80% off, but the original price was 2000 <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And I so, saw stuff on Amazon that oh you know said basically that Amazon yeah. now has cracked down on those kinds of things, which was a very good move by them. But yeah, yeah well, I was looking for masks and they had insane prices and then they'd be like special deal. <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, but I it's think also it's us. not just looking back and saying, oh, the market's dropped. It's also a lot of people now looking forward and going like, oh, what's going to happen tomorrow? Is right. this going to get worse? Is it going to get better? I'm going to like play the dip or I'm going to not play the dip. And we can't know any of that. Nobody no. can predict what That's the market's going to do. And even if things happen in the real world, nobody can predict what the market will do in reaction to those things in the real world. I mean, this virus has been going on for a while now, and it seems like the U.S. just figured it out. So all of us in the rest of the world have been like, oh, well, they finally got it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, over in Zurich, um, you know, people were taking, taking the food shelves down to zero. Yeah, uh, I, some... I told my dad, about it. I went to the grocery store um, at the beginning of last week and 
I talked to the fish guy there and he was like, oh, have you been in here lately? And I said, no. And he said, it's been completely insane with people buying canned foods. And he was like, go over there. There's nothing left. And I went over there and there was, yeah, there was nothing left. There's no rice. There was no canned food. Um, there was pasta. So I bought pasta and, um, and there was hardly any flour and it's just people stocking up, you know? So of course yeah. I stocked up because that's the scary bit is shortages. And, and, and by the way, not to, not to go all prepper on you guys, but it, it is amazing <laughs> um, how modern technology and modern information systems have allowed companies to increase their profits dramatically over the last 30 years simply by having uh, shorter and shorter times mm -hmm. between the time they have to order something to replace the things they've sold or, or the parts they need to make uh, make a thing, mm -hmm. that, that time uh, factor has shortened just massively on an order of magnitude to a point where this just-in-time reloading of, of your, your requirements um, Yeah, it's even a phrase, just-in-time. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Here, yeah, exactly. And... And here are food stores, and we may not realize it, but in a in a community of a million people, those stores are not running a giant excess warehouse of stuff sitting back there, no. ready to be put on the shelves, were there to be some sort of run on the food. They're, they wouldn't have food in, in almost immediately. I mean, they'd be out. And if there was anything preventing trucks from coming in from the outside, you will wish that you have food storage because there will not be anything to buy. Well, so, and I think people are starting to become aware of that because I'm starting to see pictures from grocery stores. First of all, Italy is like completely cleaned out. I've seen a bunch of pictures from friends who um, they just have nothing on the shelves because Italy's had the virus for a while now. And the U.S. is starting to get grocery stores that look like that. So, yep. Yeah. So a word, a word to the wise to protect your family, right? And get and your disinfectant friends and, your neighbors. and get alcohol. And not, well, get the other kind of alcohol too, but I meant rubbing alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> which will, which will serve, which will serve as a, as a what? What does that do? Oh, it kills bacteria. So you can use it, you can mix it with a little, um, even just like a little water or something and just spray it on your kitchen counter. It should kill, um, most of the bacteria that's on there. The pharmacist told me that the other day because I was trying to buy disinfecting wipes and he was like, just buy this giant bottle of alcohol and mix it with your like uh, your oh, Windex so or something. And, and I was like, oh, okay. Wow, that's really smart. So um, I, think, I think it's also important to know that this is going to pass. This coronavirus will pass, that they have, uh, they're well underway. It's a well-known kind of problem in medicine. And they're developing a vaccine. They'll have it, uh, you know, by next flu season or shortly thereafter. And um, and this will go away. Also, it's important to know that most people who get this, it's just the flu. Um, but what's yeah. different about this so far is that the incidence of something serious is uh, is higher than the flu. And that's got everybody concerned. It is. And so, I'm going to actually give some scary statistics because... I've been debating how scary this is. And so I looked it up on the CDC's website, which is the Center for Disease Control in the U.S., and I feel a reliable source. And they have a whole bunch of info about the 1918 flu pandemic, which was the really kind of the last one that really killed a lot of people. 
So it went, this is from the CDC's website, the also called the Spanish flu, if you ever read about that. So this pandemic in 1918 went all across the world and one third of the world's population became infected. So that's what we're all trying to prevent right now by cutting down on gatherings of people and shutting down factories. We're trying to prevent everybody getting infected. But in that situation, one third of the population became infected and the number of deaths was about 50 million worldwide, which was... Out of how many people? I'm just scrolling down to find that out. That sounds like a large number. It was a large number. Um, it was about 3% or so. And Of the people who got infected or the people... Of the people who... Total. No, no, the deaths were... It was 3% of, to, of the people who got infected. So the death rate okay. was about 3% which is slightly higher than with this virus, which is, seems to be about 2%, although the reporting of that is questionable because it's 7% in Iran, but people think that that's because um, they're, they're not, not testing everybody. So, yeah, so let's say it's 2%. The reason that everybody's freaking out about keeping this from going worldwide is because if it did, a lot of people would die. And it sounds small to say 2%, but it's well, actually a lot of people in numbers. Remember now, that was 1918. Medicine wasn't nearly as evolved as it is now. Procedures for for hospitals weren't nearly as evolved. It, I think we have sure. to argue that there's going to be a lot, lot, lot less than that. I mean, it, even if it really gets ramped up. Yeah, I think that's a know, good point. You probably bring that down by 90%, I would think, something like that. But still, that would leave you with <laughs> 5 million dead people. And that's a lot. Yeah. And and in terms of what that, and the reason we're talking about this is because the what produces uh, companies going on sale is fear. And... Right. Well, it's what fear would, and it's supply chain shut down. It's fear well, and it's yeah. not being able to go to work because they don't allow you to gather in places. It's well, right. What would the what would the fear be coming from? Right. In yeah. other words, okay, it's not just the coronavirus. All right, is uh, you know people are dying, but why would that affect the stock market? Right. And the answer is because we're all of these companies that are in the stock market are interwoven parts of our economy worldwide. And the economy, if you have people having to stay home, if you have people who are um, who are not able to work, if you have people who are, um, or if you have companies that can't get their supply chain fulfilled, right? They they exactly. so nobody's working, so you can't get the Apple iPhone you thought you were going to get because they can't build it mm-hmm. fast enough. All of those things affect the future earnings of these companies in a dramatic way. And if companies have debt, and here comes the real kicker, if companies have debt and their earnings drop to some point, they can't pay the interest on the debt. Mm -hmm. And since the bondholders desperately need the money because they're in trouble too, they go to court and force this company into bankruptcy. And they can do that in a week. They can shove that company into bankruptcy the court will look for a solution in this bankruptcy problem that will keep people working. Their number one priority will be to keep people working in that environment. And to do so, they want that company out of bankruptcy as quickly as it possibly can get there. And the courses, the courts will and have the power to enforce draconian measures in those environments 
where they get that company out of bankruptcy in 45 days, 60 days, 90 days, so that they remove the problem for people being employed. And to do that, they will wipe out the shareholders first thing. That's the first thing. And then the bondholders will suffer, but the shareholders are gone. And so a lot of companies, as as Warren Buffett says, you don't really find out who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. <laughs> yeah. And corporate debt is at world record heights right now because of all the mergers they've been doing, because of all the stock buybacks. And because, because they interest wanna, rates are so low. Interest rates are so low. They're borrowing like they're maniacs. Mm-hmm. Um, they're they're borrowing to to buy back their own stock. They're borrowing to pay back to pay dividends when they don't have the money to do it. Every major oil company has been borrowing money to pay its dividends with. If you can believe that, I mean, the last major company I wrote about that was having that problem was GM, and they went bankrupt. Right? Whoa. They got a big downturn, and boom, they're gone. I mean, can you imagine Exxon going under, and yet it's got a debt load so large because of how much capital expenditures it's having to make to keep the oil flowing, that it could, I mean, it's a long reach. I mean, people are going to be like, what are you, out of your mind? But, I mean, think <laughs> about how many companies went bankrupt in the in the uh, shale drilling regions when they when they stopped having $100 oil. They I went don't know. By the hundreds. Okay. So, you know, it's just, it, it, all these companies that you think are nice and safe, many of them, if not most of them, are carrying more debt on average than in the history of corporate America. And so a huge dislocation economically where they can't make their earnings because people aren't buying or they can't deliver the product could absolutely put one company after another into bankruptcy. Yeah, I think it's a great point to make sure that... hopefully you're not invested already in companies with huge debt or not looking at them on your your wish list. But you are invested in companies with huge debt if you have a 401k with your money in the indexes or you have a big 401k with your money in big Mm -hmm. broad mutual funds. Mm -hmm. If you have that, you are invested in a bunch of companies with a load of debt. I mean, look at Boeing. Boeing is coming down like a brick because of this problem with this aircraft and they haven't got it recertified yet. And they got debt and they're adding debt to their debt. So you'd have to look at Boeing and say, wow, can these guys under a really extreme circumstance where they, they, nobody's buying their airplanes and all the people are canceling orders. Could they survive the debt load that they've got? Yeah. And they're already in a bad situation because of everything that company's gone through with their own internal problems. But now they're running into people aren't flying. And so airlines are starting to lose their earnings, which means they're not going to be buying new planes when they thought they would. And they have a load of debt. (laughs) The airlines do. And the railroads have a load of debt. Absolutely. I mean, it's extraordinary when you start to look at the downside of debt against corporate America's uh, kind of blue chip companies. And you're Hmm. starting to think, holy smokes. It's very interesting because I haven't looked at the airlines really, so I don't know, actually. Um, But Buffett did an interview last week with Becky Quick on CNBC, and he talked about how Berkshire owns, um, I believe it was three of the four major airlines. And I think they had all four for a I while. I think they had all four. And yeah. he, he, he actually specifically made the point that maybe it was three out of the four were his choice. And the fourth was some of the other fellows choice is what he said. So, um, but he owns a huge amount of Delta, more than 11% of Delta. 
and quite a bit of United and then the other ones. Um, and I haven't really looked at them, but he hates companies with debt. So it's really interesting that he's so this, in. This but could, anyway, that takes us away another... from our from our topic here. But um... but Buffett has always argued don't don't buy aircraft airline companies because they're a bad business model, and now yeah. he owns owns a bunch of them. I know. And he might have found that the diversification across these airlines doesn't help you when the whole industry doesn't have anybody flying. I mean, if nobody's flying, then what are, what are these companies going to do? Where are they going to get the money to pay the debt? They got to they got to keep paying their employees, and what they do is they run into the courts and they say, "Protect us from our obligations." And the courts do it. Yeah, they do it. And the managers yeah. who run in the company aren't going to get blamed. You know, who could blame them for coronavirus? They're yeah. not going to get fired. Yeah, they might not even. They might get a raise out of the court. <laughs> And who gets fired is you and your 401k. You get fired. So this is what can create the fear. Is yeah, if, yeah. if large companies start having serious economic problems because nobody's buying their stuff or they can't build stuff because this thing is locking people inside, then it doesn't take very long. These, are, these companies are not in a good position to sustain a long period of, of low earnings. And, and low free cash flow. And as a result, you're going to, if this really gets going, you're going to see bankruptcies. And when you start seeing bankruptcies, you're going to see people bailing out of the market, meaning they're going to sell their index funds out of their, their mutual funds. They're going to sell those. They are going to exit. They're going to say, I need to protect my retirement. Yep. I'm going to go to bonds, even yep. if they are one and a half percent. And you guys wake up, call. That's exactly what people are doing worldwide. They are pouring money into U.S. bonds. And as a result, the interest rate is going down, down, down. And you're sitting there thinking, hey, this is great. woo Cheaper mortgage. Hey, sports fans, that's fear. Yeah, From it's the not rest a of the good world sign. Saying, where am I going to put some money that I can make some money on my money that's safe? And they're saying the United States is paying 1.5% on a 10-year T-bill. Germany's paying minus half a percent. I'm putting my money in the United States. When you see the interest rates dropping like that on T-bills, you are seeing fear yeah. happening. And this is not a good thing. They're at a low today um, on wow. March 2nd here. They're at a low. I mean, it's so, it's it's weird out there. And that's... <laughs> I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. I mean, Buffett, again, in that interview last week, he said, I don't think anybody knows what the market's going to do. I think you do know whether you're making an intelligent purchase at a given price. That <laughs> there is, you go. I, in, end quote. My, now I'm saying, I, that's all you can know. That is all we can know. I don't know what it's going to do. I don't know what it's going to do in the next hour. <laughs> this podcast may sound totally outdated when it comes out tomorrow, um, but we can know if we're making an intelligent purchase at a given price. And that's it. And that's what he tries to do. Um, and of course, he makes tons of mistakes and doesn't always get it right. And I certainly make tons of mistakes and don't always get it right. But you can know what you're doing as opposed you to predicting the market. What you're doing. And so the rules that we've been teaching you guys for years now come so clearly into focus in a, an environment like this, because think about what we all want to look for, what Warren's looking for, what, what you should be looking for. It's a wonderful business. And what does that mean? It means a business that produces a lot of cash flow, it does it whether there's an inflationary environment or a deflationary environment. It's making a product people really want and they're willing to pay for over and over again. Mm -hmm. 
and you and it has no debt. This is like it that's one of our criteria. It has no or little debt. It makes a great return on investment. And think about what a great business looks like. I mean, Buffett has maybe 20 public companies, let's say the, the biggest ones that he owns. And as an average, in his annual in, in his annual letter this year, he says, at an average, this group of companies makes 20% a year or more mm-hmm. on the money I'm leaving in there that it's doing that it's using for its business. 20% a year or more in an environment where a 30-year T-bill is at 2%. I mean, which one is better, right? I yeah. mean, it's just a no-brainer yeah. to be yeah. looking for these wonderful businesses, but please avoid debt. And if you've got businesses with a lot of debt right now, you might seriously want to consider the market's only down 10%. I mean, this is my humble opinion, all right? This is not me giving you advice or recommendations. But in my humble opinion, you should clean house right now and make sure you own things. <laughs> I'm that not are gonna going to give you advice, be... but here's what you should do. Can maybe oh, okay. you could maybe you could rephrase you should that. Say it differently. Here's what I would do. Yeah, here's what I, I like have that done. Better. Yeah. I have cleaned house. I'm moving out of everything that's got debt. I'm careful about what I'm buying, and I am buying right now. I'm not going to tell you what, but I am buying right now. Um, there, are, there are things that are being, I think, put on sale right now. So while the market's not on sale in, in, in a particular way, there are individual companies out there. And if you start digging around and looking carefully, you may just find a few that are perfect. Well, so, and on that, we have two enormous uh, things that happened in the last few weeks, which we haven't even talked about at all, which are Buffett's um, letter came out and the Berkshire annual report came out and Charlie Munger held his daily journal annual meeting. um, Well, like two weeks ago. So we're going to get to these, you guys at some point here, they are not, they are not uh, time sensitive in the way that the market today felt time sensitive. So we wanted to focus on that, but we are going to end up talking about those things. So go read them. You can get Buffett's letter on the Berkshire Hathaway website um, you can watch that CNBC interview that I mentioned that he did with Becky Quick last week um, on the YouTube, on the YouTube, on YouTube, on the CNBC channel on YouTube. And you can watch the Daily Journal meeting um, on YouTube as well. And if you Google it, there's a few transcripts out there floating around. So there's lots of ways to get that info. And then we'll talk about it down the line here. Indeed, we will. Okay. And until then, good luck. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.